Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, what's up, y'all? Alan Kenny, host of the Blade and Homers and Podcast, part of the SB Nation network of podcasts and Crimson and Cream Machine. Um, a lot of stuff going on around college football, uh, you know, since the end of the season. Figured I'd bring on uh, our long, uh, longtime friend and, uh, you know, one of our favorite guests, Michael Felder of the Stadium Network, to uh, talk about a few things, uh, you know, OU related and also a few bigger picture things going on with college football. So let's go ahead and welcome him on. Michael, what's going on, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, man. It's, it's been too long since I talked to you, man. I'm glad to have you back on. Um, so, first things first. You know, we've talked a ton on here uh, about uh, Oklahoma's defense and lack thereof in past in the past few years. Uh, overall, what do you think of uh, Alex Grinch's first season with the Sooners? Um, I thought he I thought they got better as the season went along. Um, LSU game notwithstanding, uh, he's it's clear he's like it's one of those things where you're probing, right? You're trying to figure out what we're good at and where we can consistently make plays and what lineup works really well. So we saw him experiment with lineups. We saw him experiment with different, different uh, alignments. And I think now going into 2020, he's got a better idea of what they can and cannot do. And I think this team is going to make a big step forward in 2020 after taking a really big step in 2019. Yeah, you know, looking at the personnel, uh, you know, some big losses there. Parnell Motley actually played pretty well this year at cornerback. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kenneth Murray was is uh, kind of, uh, you know, kind of uh, modern-day kind of new-age linebacker, I think, that, uh, you know, is going to do pretty well at the next level or at least be picked highly in the uh, upcoming draft. Neville Gallimore. Um, those are some big him. losses. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? He really kind of came on this year. They gave him fewer reps, I think, you know, per game, and I think that uh, that really helped him kind of conserve himself. And he was single gapping, you know, so he wasn't taking on blockers yep. all the time. Yeah. Uh, have you been able to see watch anything? Uh, watch any of what he's been doing at the uh, Senior Bowl? I've watched a little bit of it, man. I've been so swamped with what we've what I've got going on that I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch the practices like I used to. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of just I'm kind of watching the updates and everything. I'm looking like, but I mean, goodness gracious, there's so many guys that are just making plays down there in Mobile. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, personnel wise, do you think you know OU's going kind of going through a bit of an exodus right now, which is what you kind of, I think kind of expect when there's such a big scheme changeover, you know? Uh, but personnel wise, yeah. I mean, how far off do you feel like OU is from being able to compete with a team like uh, like what we saw from LSU or Clemson this year on the defensive side of the ball? I think defensively, um, when you talk about how far off they are, the two things that I look for are pass rushers and lockdown corners, right? And I think that we saw some flashes from Trey Brown of him playing quality ball. 
Uh, we saw some flashes in terms of the pass rush um, out of was it um, Redmond, Jalen Redmond, and Ronnie Perkins. Saw some flashes from them, but you got to have a consistency there. And I think if we frame it in the eyes of the playoff, I think we look at. LSU, they didn't have a true sack getter, but they did have a guy in Caleb Von Chason who was a game wrecker who was consistently influencing things that allowed other guys to get to the quarterback. So they had a big sack distribution. Um, they had a bunch of guys getting sacks, although they didn't have one sack getter, which is what Oklahoma, which is, excuse me, what Ohio State had with Chase Young. One guy doing all the work essentially. And then as he does that work, other guys come free. And then you look at Clemson and again, similar to LSU, but more on Venables, less on one player. And they got sacks in mass because of their scheme. And I think that Grinch is going to have to figure out what they're going to have to do. I think that for them, that Clemson approach works, but it only works if you trust your secondary to make plays. And I think that's what Clemson was able to do over the course of the 2019 season. So you have to beef up the secondary to help your guys up front. I think pass rushers are more difficult to come by than quality secondary play because it can be zone. It can be man. The point, the only thing that it has to be is consistently denying the football and forcing someone to hold the ball a little longer so that your blitzes can get home and you can get the guy on the ground. Yeah, you know, it just feels like it's harder and harder to find those, like you mentioned, quality pass rushers who can, you know, you can just, uh, you know, beat with three or four rushers, you know, I mean, it just, they're just in such high demand out there. Yeah, those guys are tough to find. And when you find one, you know, like, and they don't always pan out. I mean, I think about a guy like Jalen Phillips, right, who was the number one defensive end in the country, ranked above Chase Young, and he went to UCLA, and we haven't heard from him since he, I think, transferred to Miami. So we'll see what happens there. Um, same thing with Keyshawn Lucier South was highly touted, and you know what? Didn't really show up for UCLA again. I didn't mean to pick on UCLA, but that's where <laughs> well. like those two guys, those two guys really stood out to me as guys that have an opportunity. Jake Lawler's another one coming out of South Mech in Charlotte, went to UNC, and he hasn't really made plays for the Tar Heels. So it's really tough to find those guys, and. It's not just that it's tough to find them. You have to have the right coaching staff in place. And I think Grinch is the right coaching staff. I think that Grinch is Grinch and that staff are on the right track. I think for them though, I don't see the spike into like a um what was what was it, Obi. I don't see a spike into a guy like him who was able to get those sacks consistently. I think what we're gonna be looking for are one guy with six, one guy with six, one, like four guys with six sacks, another couple guys with four sacks, defensive backs with three sacks. And I think it's all going to come because of Grinch's principles, right? His principles are that pre-snap movement, and then it's playing with lever with proper leverage, and then it's, it's forcing the check down and rallying. And I think that it, within that, within that, that mantra, you can find your sacks through pressures and through stunts, slants, and all those things. Right, right. Now, uh, you know, looking at the other side of the ball, you know, Jalen Hurts, I remember uh, talking to you last year before the season about uh, your thoughts on Hurts, and you thought that uh, Spencer Rattler might end up uh, taking the job from him by the end of the year. Didn't exactly play out that way, but we sure. also, I think, saw that, well, you know, we, we, we became aware as the season wore on, more people, I think, realized just how kind of limited, I think, uh, Hurts was as a player. I don't know. Can you can yep. you speak a little bit more on that? Like how how you saw that kind of dynamic playing out between the two? Yeah, I, he's a I listen, he's a great kid and he's fantastic and you know the work that he's doing down there at the senior bowl is awesome and with the kids it's fantastic, but I think he also understands his limitations and I think Lincoln Riley also understood those limitations as well, which is why the offense was tailored the way that it was. And so what we saw was um 
the vertical stretch was inconsistent. I think mean, we listen. We all watched the football games, right? We saw the frustration from CD Lamb. We saw the frustration from guys not getting the ball where they needed to get the ball to go make plays. And so I look at it, and I think that I think the running backs also were a little frustrated because when your quarterback has 200 and something carries and you're only sitting at 150 or you're sitting at 60, yeah, it's pretty clear that you're just like, man, I'm, he's doing everything. And it's, he had to do everything for this, for this iteration of Oklahoma to get to the playoff. Jalen hurts did have to do everything. Make no mistake about that, but that he had to do everything because he couldn't do a lot of the stuff that Baker and Kyler Murray were able to do. And I know when I do the tape, don't lie. We, um, when we looked at some of the stuff that Jalen hurts was doing, we saw we, we we highlighted some of the big plays, but then we also dissected those plays and you look at some of these plays and you're realizing, oh, this is a 75 yard touchdown that was an eight yard pass to CD Lamb, or yes, Jalen Hurts did throw the ball 30 yards down the field, but he also threw it into triple coverage and you know Baskin made a play. So it's one of those things where the the result the end result doesn't tell the story, and because of those risks or because of the issues there you dial back on when you take those long, those risks down the field, even though he did complete some passes down the field, it's still, they weren't as, it wasn't as robust of a throwing menu, so to speak, yeah. as we saw in years past. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think what you mentioned there, that that's kind of the, uh, the interesting conundrum was that, you know, they had to tailor an offense around the many different things that Hertz could do because, what they were used to was things that he, you know, couldn't do. So, uh, right. I mean, do you see that? I'm assuming you see that changing with Rattler. I mean, a lot of people, uh, I mean, are, you know, with good reason, I think really high on his, uh, his ability as a thrower. Yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, watching him get those reps. He is kids got kids got skills and I'm looking forward to watching. I mean, they stole a red shirt with him, which is really pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like I mean, let's let's call it what it is, right? You stole they stole a red. He only played in three games, right? Yeah, I think yeah, three or four. I mean, he definitely he's he got the red shirt, yeah. So he stole the red shirt, so that's fantastic. And he still got to play the national cha- in the in the excuse me in the national semifinal. So that's great. I think for him, getting that year, getting a couple games, uh, the, the the few games of experience is is, is critical. Um, and yeah, I mean. Lincoln Riley can feed us all the lip service that he wants about Tanner Mordecai and an open competition and a battle this battle that I will be literally jaw on the floor. If this is a Spencer Rattler's team coming out of spring, probably midway through spring even. And I think we're going to see the offense revert back. And it's not, when you say revert, you always think of like a, a regression, but no, I think we see it revert back to the more progressive offense, the opened up offense. We see guys that are, you know, we see, you know, Kennedy Brooks isn't a um, fullback, and, yeah. you know, leading yeah. for Spencer Rattler, which is something that, which is why I think we saw towards the back end of the season, why we saw Ramondre Stevenson get a little bit more bumped because he was a guy that could go in there and he could move some bodies when he was in the block, in the blocking phase. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. 
Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, looking at it uh, with uh, the skill guys around uh, Rattler, though, I mean, uh, you know, how obviously C.D. Lamb, that's a huge loss at receiver. I mean, you know, uh, just look from a production and skill standpoint. Sure. How good are the guys, though, you think coming up? I mean, do you envision some type of uh, drop off overall in terms of how effective they are? Man, I honestly, I think Charleston Rambo is going to have to stick. He's going to have to keep one eye, sleep with one eye open. I think yeah, these dudes are yeah, coming. Yeah, I think, I think he Hazelwood, might lose his spot. Yeah. Hazelwood and Weiss are coming and it's going to be like these. I'm so excited about these guys. And then you throw in, um, what's the game? Marvin Mims, who's going to be coming in as mm-hmm. a freshman and they've got an opportunity to be really special. I have a question for you. What are they going to do with Trajan Bridges? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think that that's going to end up, uh, you know, being determined really by how things play out with the suspension. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into the details of what I've heard about that because, uh, you know, I'm not there with the team every day. I'm not, I'm not, sure. you know, a reporter or anything like that. Um, you know, I think that they're going to try to, uh, you know, I th- and get some of those games knocked off and they might have a good case. I think that, um, you know, the issue there though, is I think they'll, I mean, they're going to stick with him, you know, a receiver. I, I don't see, I don't see, I certainly don't see him transferring at this point. And, you know, I know that he, he played it, uh, you know, trying to get out there at safety, but, uh, right. you know, we saw, we saw that, I mean, it didn't go very well. And the guy's such a good receiver. I don't know why you'd want to, why you'd want to shake that up, you know? So, uh, they've got Theo Howard transferring over from UCLA yes. to, uh, play that, uh, slot, slot position. Wow, I think UCLA so. triple. Yeah. I know, I know, right? Yeah. So, so they've got him coming over. I know, man. I mean, Chip Kelly, you know, it's like a, it's like a, you know, a sinking ship over there. But yeah, he's coming yeah. over, and uh, so I, I know they're pretty excited there. And you know, I mean, five games, six games. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes with uh, Bridges. But yeah, I mean, I feel like they're they're just stacked there. And you know, you you mentioned Rambo. I feel like through no fault of his own. I mean, you know, the other guys, Rambo's kind of a deep threat, you know, the other guys can do kind of everything. uh, You know, I I think that uh, you're right in the sense that uh, those guys are coming for him. I mean, you look at how we, the other guys are big. Oh yeah, exactly. The other guys are big. Hazelwood's huge. Weiss is huge. Yeah. Like those are big dudes. And so I think that, but I think there's space for Rambo. I think he, and I think he's going to be important to this football team because it's all about teaching these, continuing to teach these guys how to play, you know? So they learned for a year under CD lamb, CD lamb learned under Hollywood Brown. And mm-hmm. it's about passing that down. And I think that's part of what Rambo's job is going to be is making sure one, that he's there for Rattler as the older guy. Cause one of the things that's tough, one of the toughest things, and it isn't discussed nearly enough, but one of the toughest things in all of college football is to have, and this is independent of offensive line. One of the toughest things in all of college football is to have a young quarterback and young wide receivers because nobody knows what to do. Yeah. But if you have older, older wide receivers with a young quarterback or an older quarterback with young wide receivers, they can get each other on the same page. And I think that's where Rambo comes in as the elder statesman in that wide receiving room of helping make sure that these guys, I know you played a lot, Hazelwood. I know you played a lot, a lot, Weiss, but the goal is to make sure again, continuing to make sure that these guys are all on the same page and all on the right page to go make plays. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, and they, you know, they've got some other guys too. I think that uh, are worth getting excited. I mean, Stogner there at uh, he plays kind of that that split tight end like Good. they've had. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Tough loss with Grant Calcaterra retiring. Yeah. Oh, very, very much so. Very much so. But you know, Stogner is good. Yeah, he's good. Willis is pretty good Willis too. Yeah. I mean, they came got on strong late. Yeah, they've got. I mean, they got a lot there. So uh, that's going to be that. That part is going to be pretty fun to watch. Um, you know, looking, I, I think, you know, some of the Briar questions, though, like we mentioned, you know, he's had a lot of guys transferring out recently. You know, I think, like I mentioned, I think that that's pretty common whenever you have kind of a long term, you know, kind of massive overhaul of one side of the ball. Um, but, you know, the transfer portal in general, um, it seems like uh, people give, uh, are, are, I mean, this has become such a big deal. It feels like just by the branding of it as the portal more than anything else, because I don't think anything is really that different outside of maybe a little bit more transparency in terms of who's available, who's not. Uh, but I mean, is, is has anything really changed that much with this with the portal, in your opinion? I think that there are some guys that are, I think, and I will say this, and I don't want to, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm in favor of the transfer portal. I think that it does help guys get into some better situations. I think that the transparency is critical. I think that it also allows us to see, and it decreases the opportunity for coaches to manipulate a player's circumstances in terms of mm-hmm. when they leave, if they leave, how they leave the program. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, or we have seen how that works out, but I also think that it, Let's guys think that grass is greener and that there's always going to be a landing spot for them. And that to me is a little bit dangerous because there is not always a landing spot or there's not always the landing spot that you want. And I think the way that teams use it has to be very judicious. And I think you have to be smart with it. You cannot run your team through the transfer portal. You cannot, but you can go, you can pick and choose pieces that are going to help you get wins. And I think that we've seen coaches use it um, with guys that they rec- they all with guys that they did recruit, and still go attack those guys. And I think that's one of those things that I've found probably the most interesting is recognizing that we had a pre-existing relationship with this player. He went somewhere, it didn't work out. Oh, it's okay. We're going to bring him on here. Right, right. But you know, there's also I think kind of just bigger things to think about in terms of how how we deal with transfers in general i mean you know to me it feels like the there the whole policy is just such a mishmash that you don't yeah it's just they i don't know i mean my in my opinion i think that the idea that uh you know the waivers and whatnot you know i mean i'm as in favor of the players you know having as much uh sure you know uh, you know freedom of movement as possible but I don't know. To me, I think that you're better off just going back and doing something like, you know, making mandatory, may, you know, giving it, making mandatory to uh, sit out a year and then maybe giving him an extra year on the back end or something like that. Something to where you probably, I don't know, I, there needs to be, you know, some kind of like, if you really want to transfer, like, you know, you need to make sure you've, you've really thought it through type thing. Well, I think it, well, that's the thing for me is I think that the guy, I think a lot of guys have thought it through in terms of wanting to leave. I think it's more about where they end up than anything. Yeah. And that's the part for me. I think that knowing that you, you're not happy where you are, knowing that you want to leave, that's one part. That's one side of the equation. I think that's the part that guy, I think that's why the waivers are work. In my eyes, that's why the waivers are, are a good thing. That's why the waivers do work. The problem is landing spots, right? Because 
coaches have to juggle their current scholar their current scholarship players they have to juggle their incoming scholarship players and then they have to figure out is this guy a good fit got to do their research on where he ends up and so what sounds like hey i could go anywhere ultimately ends up being they don't have space for me so i have to find another place and it's it is it often turns into it it turns into what we're going through right now with this signing period, right? Like with this, with the, with the second, with the second signing day where you have players who thought they were going to get this big offer or that big offer. And then the spots all fill up. And now they're looking at where can I end up playing football? And I think that's the tough part. It's not the leaving, the leaving they've decided they want to leave. And I think that's a decision that most of them make uh, in good faith with, you know, with solid information. The problem is where they end up. And if you're not, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, if you're not, uh, even like a Breeden Fihoko who mm-hmm. left before the portal, left Texas Tech pre-portal, but was a highly sought after player. If you're not those guys and you're just, you're, you know, you're a Jag, you're just a guy, mm-hmm. then you, you better hope you've got a really good relationship with a guy that recruited you somewhere else that really does need you, or you're going to have to, you're going to be on the market looking for something that may not come. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you there. I think that that's a fair, fair assessment. You know, I also wonder too, though, like at some point it feels like I've, I've got to think coaches will get tired also though of the uh, kind of re-recruiting all the time, if that makes sense, you know, on the back end sure. after you've got them in the program. And eventually I think, I feel like they'll probably end up pushing, to do something different with the portal if I had to guess, but you know. Yeah. I, and I think, you're, I think you're spot on. Um, listen, I'm a, I don't think this is controversial. I think it's about as true as it gets coaches. Most of the, most of the rule changes, most of the decisions that are made in college football uh, from a recruiting standpoint, from a, uh, from a, a, you know, from a decision-making standpoint, most of the decisions that are made are to make coaches jobs easier. It's not to make things better for the athletes. It's not to, you know, help them out and make the process easier or smoother for them. It's usually to make the coach's job easier Transfer portal, I think, is one instance where it does make things a little bit easier because it frees up communication with other teams. Um, but in general, as you mentioned, coaches are going to get tired of having to re-recruit, of trying, are tired of having to recruit players to come back or recruit players to stay. They're going to get tired of having to treat players like they matter when they're not helping them win the games. And I think that's one of the things to me that stands out in a big way. If you treated all your players like they mattered, they wouldn't be hopping into the portal nonstop, right? Mm-hmm. If you treated all these, if if you treated these guys like, and I think that's the part that I don't think most people that haven't been in that locker room, haven't been out on a practice field, don't realize is a lot of the reason guys leave. It's not just playing time. It's how they get cast aside when they're not getting playing time. Mm -hmm. And when you you become an afterthought and you don't get reps or you don't get work or you don't get coaching, you don't get those things. You realize you think you realize it's time for me to leave to go somewhere where I do feel like I am wanted, and that is something that exists all over college football, where guys kind of just languish on the roster because they're not getting in the game, and coaches are basically waiting out the clock until they can get somebody else in there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, Michael, I've taken up enough of your time this morning, so really appreciate it, man. What do you got going on at the stadium right now? Okay, so at Stadium, every week I was doing a tape don't lie, which is a you know twelve to fifteen minute segment breaking down one element of the game. Uh, now they have turned that into a one hour show that airs, I believe, on Mondays at six o'clock Eastern. 
uh, on stadium. You can watch it on watchstadium.com. But we do a full hour show. We break down three or four players, and then we get into sort of I have a discussion with Amina Smith or Kristen Balboni about the ramifications. We've done top returning quarterbacks. We talked about freshman quarterbacks this year. Uh, we've also this coming up next week. We're going to talk about running backs. So just kind of doing that. Um, obviously, I'm still on Twitter, even though I don't tweet nearly as much as I used to. I just admit. I'm exhausted, man. I've been going to the gym and <laughs> trying to play, trying to play my wife's birthday party. So I've just been like, I, I've, I've got to get, I got to get off social media so that I can actually get some stuff done. Fair enough, fair enough, man. Well, yeah, and those uh, the breakdowns though you're talking about with the tape don't lie, those were fantastic. I, I always checked in last year to see what you were working on. So uh, you guys are doing a great job with that stuff over there. A lot of exciting stuff going on with Stadium, but uh, really appreciate you coming on this morning, man. It's been fun, man. Thanks so much. You take it easy. All right. Thanks again to Michael Felder of Stadium Network for uh, coming on. Make sure to check out his stuff over there at Watch Stadium. You can also find him on Twitter at In the Bleachers. Uh, thanks to uh, you for joining us as well. Make sure to like, rate, subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcasts. For the White Homers and Podcast, I'm Alan Kenny. Take it easy. <laughs>